Shalom Aleichem, Shavuot Tov to all of you listeners of this great station, a station that beams only Divrei Torah, Divrei Torerut, Divrei Musar, Halachot, and religious music. This is Rabbi Elbaz from SLC, and I'm going to be talking about Tishabeav. This Tuesday, starting from Monday night, is Tishabeav. On this day, both the first and the second temple were destroyed. The first Bet HaMikdash stood for 410 years and was destroyed. For what reason? Our Hachamim tell us because of the three cardinal sins. Abu Dazara, idolatry, Gilu Arayot, immoral actions, and Shvichud Damim, and murder. We're talking here about very, very grave and serious sins. So much so that with these sins, we say, Yihareg ve'alya avor. If a person uh, uh, has someone with a gun pointing at his head and saying, go ahead and do Avodazara publicly, he should say, no, I don't care. I mean, it's not that I don't care, but Yihareg, he should kill himself rather than bow down. So there are very, very serious sins here. Yet, after 70 years of Galut, the Jews returned to Israel and started building the second Bet HaMikdash. The first Bet HaMikdash was built by Shilomo HaMelech. The second Bet HaMikdash was built by Ezra and Nehemiah. Later on, fortified, and by the time we had a hero, the king hero, in Hebrew, Hurdus. He really built a beautiful, magnificent Bet HaMikdash. The second Bet HaMikdash lasted for 420 years and was destroyed by the Romans. What's the reason of the destruction of the second Bet HaMikdash? Because of Sinat Hinam baseless or causeless hatred. Hatred for one Jew towards another. And then the Galut lasted two, almost 2,000 years and counting. The first Bet HaMikdash was destroyed because of very grave sins. The second one, Sinat Hinam, and yet the second one is 2,000 years. That means Sinat Hinam is worse than the three cardinal sins. Now, but uh, there was a, the chief rabbi of Yerushalayim for about 30 years. He passed away maybe 10 years ago. Rabbi Shalom, Mishash, Allah Shalom. He said, how come the Sinat Hinam is, seems to be even more than the three cardinal sins? How come? He says, it's like this, he says. Those three cardinal sins, Gilu Arayot, yes, the Bnei Israel, they really were nichshal in those Averot, but after the 70 years, they corrected them. They, corrected, they stopped. They stopped Avodazara. They stopped these things. But Sinat Hinam, he says, has never stopped. We never corrected it. 
To this day, there's always rifts and problems and fights between groups of different denominations and different uh, uh, countries, Jews from all over. Sinat Hinam, unfortunately, is still rampant to some extent. Now, what happened with the Sinat Hinam? Those of you who studied a little bit of the history, what happened was during that time when they were the Romans were uh, had a siege around Yerushalayim, there were three groups. There were the Perushim. Perushim were our Hachamim. They were the followers of our Hachamim. They did not war. They didn't want war with the Romans. They wanted only peace. They knew the Romans were too strong. You don't start up with a country that is much more powerful than you. A mouse doesn't go ahead and fight with a cat. It knows beforehand it's going to lose. They were smart. They advocated peace. At least you would stay, if you have peace, you would stay in your country. You don't go in Galut. It wasn't the time for a revolt. Then there was another group called the Tzdukim. The Tzdukim, they were against our Hachamim. They only believed in the written law. They didn't believe in the oral law, what we call the Gemara. They didn't believe in that. But they were friends of the Romans. They were collaborators with the Romans against their own brothers. There was another group. Call them the Zealots. Why? They were against the Perushim. They were against everybody. All they wanted was war with the Romans. War. At any cost. It didn't matter whether they're going to lose or win. They didn't care. They just wanted war. All these three groups were against each other. And the Romans were saying to themselves, well, why do we even have to go in quickly? Let them fight each other. When they're weak enough, then they went in. And unfortunately, the temple was destroyed around year 68 of the common era. Hatred, divisiveness, and disunity is very bad. We see something like that in the counting of the Bnei Israel. In Sefer Shemot, Moshe Rabbeinu counted the Bnei Israel as one unit. In other words, he counted them all, all the tribes together, not each tribe separately. In Sefer Bamidbar, Moshe Rabbeinu counted the Bnei Israel, but this time each tribe separately. The tribe of Reuven, the tribe of Dan, Naftali, all separate. What's, what's the difference? What happened in between? In between the Mishkan, which is the precursor of the Beit HaMikdash, was built. The Mishkan was a, a unifying factor. Unifying factor. Everyone displayed, showed loyalty to the Mishkan. Prior to the Mishkan, 
each individual had loyalty only to his Shevet and to the leader of his Shevet. So therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu was a, a little bit worried, concerned, that maybe if he's going to count each one separately, then maybe there'll be a divisiveness between them. But once the Mishkan was built, there was no reason any longer. That was a unifying factor. It didn't matter if he counted them separately. There's a big difference, unfortunately, between the Bet Knesset and the Bet Amikdash. Now, now when we're not talking about the, uh, the uh, importance, uh, of course, the Bet Amikdash is much, much more important, it's much holier. Uh, they are Korbanot and so on. Bet Knesset doesn't have that. But I'm talking only from a point of view of unity. When you look around us, in our own community, in every community, you have various different batiknesset. You have a Sephardim, you have the Ashkenazim. Among the Sephardim, you have the Minhag Hala, Minhag of Sham, Minhag of Yotz'e Morocco, Minhag of Tunisians, Minhag of the Iraqis, the Persians. Different. Among the Ashkenazim, same thing. You have the Hasidim, you have the Haredim, you have the young Israel time, you have the Litaim, you have the conservative, you have the reform. Plenty of different denominations. But when it comes to the Beta Mikdash, everyone is together. That is a very big difference, a really unifying factor. You know something, Rabotai? I saw this with my own eyes at the Kotel. A week ago, Friday night, I happened to be in Eris Israel, and uh, I walked to the Kotel. You won't believe this. Well, there were around a thousand people there from all denominations. Everyone is there. Everyone's represented. All different minhagim. Why? Everyone recognizes the holiness of the Kotel. It doesn't matter what type of Jew you are or where you come from. This is a unifying factor. It was a wonderful experience. There was on, on one, one side, there were like about, I don't know, a couple of hundred of young men, Ashkenazim, from the United States who were in a summer camp in Israel. They were praying Kabbalah Shabbat and Arbit. Beautiful songs dancing, clapping hands. It was a fantastic and uplifting experience. You can feel the Kedusha in the air. You can feel the unity in the air. All groups were represented. Hasidim, Sephardim, whatever, all there. Then, towards the end, there were about a hundred soldiers. Hayalim. They made a huge circle and were dancing and singing. Some regular people joined them. To tell you the truth, without wanting to, tears were rolling down my cheeks. But they were tears of joy, tears of pride. How beautiful to see all Jews united. And this is only one wall. Imagine 
the joy, the excitement, the delight if we had the entire Betamigdash. Unfortunately, we don't have it. And this is why we fast, we pray, we cry for the Mashiach to come and build it for us. Yes, we cry. As Rashi says in Kohelet, now this idea of crying, if you look at Kohelet Peregimel, it says over there, there's time for a person to be born, a time for a person to, after 120, to go on to the next world. There's a time to plant and time to uproot. There's a time to cry and time to be happy. Rashi says, when is the time to cry? That's the time to cry. Yes. Where do we see this idea of crying on Tisha B'Av? Well, unfortunately, it goes way, way back to the time of the Meraglim. The Pasuk says, When the Meraglim, the scouts, came back with an evil report about Eretz Israel, and somehow they talked to the people and, and, and the, the word spread around the entire nation. The nation all started to cry that night for no reason. Hashem told them. It, of course, it's a beautiful country. But Hashem told them that he will help them conquer it. And that is what happened later on. Well, later on, when Yehoshua uh, fought the 31 kings, there was no problem. They conquered the land. But somehow, that's not what happened that night. They were crying. And that night was Tisha B'Av. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to them, Atem bechitem hinam. You cried for nothing. Unfortunately, Ani ladorot. I am going to fix that this night should be the night for crying for future generations. It's unfortunate. So it was decreed by Hashem that Tisha B'Av will be crying for generations, and the crying is because of the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. But the crying and the praying and the appealing to the Bore Olam means that there is still hope. If God forbid, if God forbid we stop, it means we lost hope. That's no good. The crying shows that we care, that we have still a hope. And we must have this hope that the Mashiach will come and we'll rebuild our Betamigdash. You know, is a story of Napoleon Bonaparte. Napoleon Bonaparte the first. He was a French military leader. Later on, he became the emperor of France. He he conquered most of the Western Europe. 
Well, but he is known in Jewish circles for something very important because he was the first emperor who gave emancipation to the Jews in all the countries that he conquered. That was a big thing. At any rate, the story goes that this Napoleon was, uh, was passing by a certain street in Paris and then he heard crying and wailing and that was the night of Tisha So he sent one of his, uh, his attendants, he said, what's going on, you know? Why are the Jews, uh, is anything happened to them? So he goes, you know, he inquires, he comes back, he says, Your Majesty, they're crying for the lost temple. A lost temple? How come I don't know about it? How come nobody told me that, that some people destroyed some of the, the temples? He said, no, 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 Your Majesty. They're crying a temple that they lost 1,700 years ago. 1,700 years ago. At the time, Napoleon, which was the early 1800s. So he said, certainly a people which has been mourning the temple for so long, they will survive to see it rebuilt. Yes. Crying is because we have hope. They say about David Amelech, David Amelech lost his child, the first child from Bathsheba. And when he was very, very, when the child was very, very sick, David Amelech was praying and fasting, praying and praying for him. Perhaps Akadush Baruch Hu would cure him. Then, unfortunately, the baby died. Once he was dead, he got up and told the people, come, let's eat. No more fasting. No more praying. So they said to him, wait a minute. When he was still alive, you were praying fasting. Now he's gone. Now you go and eat? So he said to them, as long as he was still alive, I cry because there's hope that he might be cured. There's hope. Once he's dead, there is no hope. Yes, this is the thing. The Meshach Chochmah says, a person who cries for something that is lost for good is a fool. If you, if you happen to be in a boat and you look down in the deep ocean and, and uh, some uh, precious stone uh, or, or a piece of gold falls down and you start crying and crying and crying, you cry for nothing. Why? Because there's no way that you can recoup that particular piece of gold or piece of jewelry. So this is why we are fasting on Tisha B'Av. It is because there's hope. You know, it says in uh, in the uh, in, in Tehillim Al Naharot Babel Sham Yashavnu this is the first Galut after the destruction of the first Betamik Dash and the Bnei Israel, the Jews were by the river Al Naharot Babel the rivers of Babel 
It says, Sham Yashavnu, we said there, Vigam Bachinu, and also crying. What do you mean also? It should say, Sham Yashavnu, Ubachinu. What does that mean, Gam? Also, there must be something, somebody else was crying too. Who was that? I'll tell you who was that. A very good shot I heard once from a great Talmud Hakam. He said, on the second day of creation, HaKadosh Baruch Hu separated the waters. It was the waters that were in the heavens and the waters down in the earth. So the waters of the earth started to cry. Why? Why do you put us in the in a place of Tumah while the others go up there in a place of Kedusha? So when Hashem saw that they were really sincere about their crying, He told them, I'm going to reward you with two mitzvot. I'm going to give you two mitzvot. One, Nisuch Hamayim on Sukkot. Normally, when we have when they had the korban, they only had nisuch yayin. They only poured wine. Now, in during these days of Sukkot, when they brought in the korban at Tamid, they also had wine and water. And that was that was a big thing. It was a simhat bet hashoavah. It was a tremendous thing. That was one mitzvah. Second mitzvah, the waters that are salty. It says, al kol korban you take the salt and you bring it, you put it with the korban. That's two mitzvot that they have. And imagine, Rabotai, we're talking about a time of creation and, and these two mitzvot were only applicable 2,500 years later. We're still the accepted. But then when the first Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, then I couldn't have those mitzvot anymore. You can't have Nisuchamayim. You can't have Kobanot with the salt. So Shamia Shavnu Gam Bachinu. We were crying, not only us. Gam Bachinu. Gam meaning even the rivers. They were also crying. They were crying because also there was hope. There was hope. And the hope is that the Beit HaMikdash will be rebuilt again. And it was. It was rebuilt again. There's only one problem with this crying. And this is what Rabbi Yaakov Emden Alavashalom, a great, great Tamid Hacham and Talmudist of the 17th century. And he raised the following question How serious are we when we cry? We sit on the floor. True. We are seven, we fast, and so on. Are we just repeating mechanically and reacting, reacting the same thing as we did last year and the years before? Or do we really feel the loss? Do we feel like if someone, God forbid, loses a loved one, and he cries, he cries, he pours his heart. He feels the absence of a person that was gone. Do we feel the absence of such a holy place as the Beit HaMikdash and sincerely beseech the Almighty to merit it should be rebuilt? Are we really serious about it? Do we feel that way? 
Let me tell you about uh, quickly this. I'm going to end up with this this little uh, anecdote about the uh, Tamil Hakam. He went in Eretz Israel. He went to a bookstore. It was just before Tish Abiyab. And he asked uh, the uh, the salesman over there, yeah, you, I want to buy a, a book of Kinot. Kinot, you know. Ashkenazim, they have like a, a pamphlet in, which has a lot of Kinot in there. So he said, fine, sir. How much is it? So he said, oh, whatever. Five shekel, whatever. He says, no, that's too much. He says, bargaining with him. No, 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 no. Three shekels, too much. What do you mean? There's the price. No, it's a haggling, the haggling. So the salesman says to this rabbi, he said, Rabbi, I know you for years. Every time you come, you buy Sefer, Sfarim, Gemara, Humashim, Shalot uh, al Sefarim of Tamil. You never, never bargained one penny from me. Why all of a sudden now with Sefer Kinot? That's what you such a cheap thing. You're bargaining. And he answered him, you see, very simple. When I buy a Sefer Gemara, I expect to learn that Gemara for years and years and years and maybe even give that Sefer Gemara to my child over, my children. When I buy a Sefer Kinot, it's only for this is because maybe the next day the Mashiach will come. I'm going to use it only once. He says, that's why he's bargaining. Now, this man, this rabbi truly believes that Mashiach is going to come. He's bargaining because he truly believes it. I heard once about a rabbi in, uh, in Lakewood who was always carrying a suitcase, a briefcase. Always carrying a briefcase. Whatever he wants, goes to the yeshiva, he's got a briefcase with him. Goes back home, always goes to Hatuna, he's got a briefcase with him. Finally, one time, nobody, nobody knows what was the briefcase for. I'm about to ask him, okay, Rabbi, what's, what is, why are you carrying this all the time? He says, in this briefcase, I have a special garment a special garment, beautiful garment that I expect to wear when the Mashiach will be here. And since I expect the Mashiach to be any day now, any moment, I have to have it with me because once he comes, I'm prepared for it. Rabbi do we feel that way? Do we feel that way? Do we really have that expected member? Let's support the Mashiach is one very fundamental principle of our religion. We have. Do we feel that way though? And this is why this Monday night and Tuesday when we are sitting on the floor, we are praying, we are crying. Let us really be sincere in our prayers. And truly beseech the Almighty to bring us out of Mashiach And I guarantee you, if all the Jews in the world will do it that way, I guarantee you the Mashiach will be here. Shavuot Rabotai. And again, I want to remind you that this is a great station here. If you can help out, send your contributions. Believe me, it's a very, very good uh, 
a good course over here. And if you need any, if you have any simha to do, you can always contact our synagogue, SLC. We have a beautiful, uh, newly renovated uh, simha hall, and I'm sure we can accommodate you. Have an easy fest to all of you.